Yaakov, uh, through 17. Abner, the son of Ner, and the servants of Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, went out from Mahanam to Gibeon. And Joab, the son of uh, Zerah, and the servants of Aha! Whoa! <laughs> I'll just go from the screen. Here we go. <laughs> um, so, we are a family. Yes, thank you. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Um, now the sons of Eli were worthless men, and they did not know the Lord. The custom of the priests with the people was that when any man offered sacrifice, the priest's servant would come, while the meat was boiling with a three-pronged fork in his hand. And he would thrust it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot. And all of that the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. This is what they did at Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. Moreover, before the fat was burned, and the priest's servant would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, Give meat for the priest to roast, for he will not accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. And if the man said to him, let, the, let them burn the fat first, and then take as much as you wish, he would say, No, you must give it now, and if not, I will take it by force. Thus the sin of the young man was very great inside of the Lord, for the man treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. Very good, thank you. Uh, let's go back one, James, and leave it up there. Um, again, let me pray for us. Father, we pray that as we come to this idea of fatherhood across the scriptures, we ask that you would uh, open our hearts and enable us to hear what you would have us to hear. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, a uh, couple of uh, caveats. When we do a sermon, we'll often say at the, I mean, when we do a wedding, we'll often say at the beginning of the wedding, we're so glad you're here, right? And we'd love for you as congregants to hear and witness the vows that are going to be taken today. And when we talk about this marriage that we're celebrating here between these two, we invite you to be reminded of the promises that you took one day long ago or the promises that you'll anticipate taking. And so in the same way, as we talk about fatherhood, we want to invite you to consider in your own life the story of your own life, how fatherhood came to you. Now, what that means is some of you will have incredibly fond memories of what your dad was. And what I have to be careful of is some of us will have incredibly painful memories of what fatherhood was like. Dustin Hayes loves Crawford Loretz, right? He bleeds Crawford Loretz. Crawford Loretz is a preacher for Camp's Crusade. And Crawford has this phenomenal story on uh, fatherhood. And it's mostly the story of what his dad was. So he says at the beginning of that talk that uh, Dustin has listened to, how many times would you guess? About 15, right? He says at the beginning, as I talk about my dad, I don't want you to be uh, only embroiled in the struggle of what your dad might have been. Um, but he goes on to say that a father looks forward to the future and sees a vision for his son. And a father trains his children on impulse control to help them have a vision of getting towards that goal. That's not a bad definition of fatherhood. Um, let me tell you why we're here today. Uh, I'm 58 years old, and that doesn't mean I've done everything, but I've been where you are. Right? Like we planted a church in 1992, and it was total Tedville. Right? That means we knew nothing. We had no idea where we were going. We had no resources. It was a disaster waiting to happen. 
And into that disaster came some men in my life who loved me enough to say, you're a total idiot, but what the heck, we're with you, right? They gave me their lives, their possessions, their sacred honor. They chained themselves to me and they said, little boy, you're an idiot, but we're going to bail you out, right? It was really that bad. And uh, people who do that for you, it's one thing to have people join you when you're going to face great success. When you're out there on the end of the tightrope and you know it, and somebody comes along and says, man, I'm with you, those people uh, have a special place in your heart forever. So that was 1992, and now I'm much older and looking back. Some of those men's children who gave me their lives don't walk with the Lord today. Some of the men who committed their lives to me when I had nothing, for whom I would have given them anything in return, the one thing chiefest of all things that I would give them is that their children walk with the Lord, and I can't give it to them, right? Matthew and Julia and Stephen, they don't know Jesus. And what I mean to say is I'd trade the whole stinking church that we built for one of those kids to come back to Christ. And so when Hutch kind of says, hey, I'm out of town, I'm going with Ashley, and I'm not even worried about you, just do whatever you want, right? First, I'm like, really, anything I want? And then I think of uh, Greg and Troy and Corey and Mike and what they're doing to step up as your elders to be when this church gets particularized. And I remember that when I was where they are, we couldn't imagine that our children wouldn't walk with the Lord. What would you trade to get one kid back? Right? You'd get everything you got. And so this isn't going to be my fun sermon, right? You can already tell. Um, uh, Sometimes this is tough. Um, I did a Bible study with a doctor. He was an orthopedic surgeon. He did more orthopedic surgeries in our community than the next three orthopedes combined. He was ambidextrous. I asked him one time, how are you so good at what you do? He said, I don't walk around the table. I just stand there over somebody and I start stitching. And I hire people to do everything that I don't need to do. All I do is cut. I cut more people than the next three doctors combined. He made a lot of money. He gave us $55,000 a year, and that wasn't even the beginning of a tithe for him. We had a Bible study in his house because everybody wanted to be with him. He was awesome. He was a really close friend. And we weren't going to be a big institutional or a powerful church, but we were really going to be close, right? We were really close, so close that I didn't know he was uh, sleeping with a woman that was not his wife. His wife's father was an All-American, the first All-American at the University of Florida. He was a traveling salesman, and so she grew up in in her home only to find out that her dad had women in every city that he sold stuff in. So her whole life hung on the destruction of her parents' marriage when she found out her dad was unfaithful. Now, her husband has been unfaithful to her. Only he's denying it. When it came out for three days, he didn't want anybody to uh, believe that it was really true. So he just kept saying that it didn't happen, even when the woman that he was unfaithful with said that it did. Uh, Why did I tell you that? Because my dad used to sing a lot when I was little. And uh, I would go to this, the wife's house, 
and I would be seeking to walk with her over these intense four days, and I wouldn't know it, but I would get out of my car, and I would be singing, why do I feel discouraged? You know that song? Why do I trouble? Ba, 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 right? If Jesus is my portion, doesn't matter how well you sing, right? <clears throat> she told me one day, you know, it touched my heart every time you pulled up because you got out of your car and I heard you singing, Jesus is my portion. So one day, at the end of the three or four days, when he was finally honest with me, I said to him, well, Robert, we got to go tell your wife. And so we went to where she was, and I held her, and I fathered her. You understand what that means? Every strength and every tendon and every sinew of her body was gone. And I just held her up against me. And I said, Lauren, Robert's got to tell you some really bad stuff. And Donna's on her way, and she's going to be here in a few minutes. When Robert's done... We're going to go away for a couple of days, and Donna's going to take care of you. Now, again, I didn't know what I was doing, but the truth is, what I was doing <clears throat> was really fathering her. I was extending the protection of my life to her. And that's what these guys are committing themselves to do for our little congregation. What it means to be an elder in a church is really to extend your fathering to the congregation. Really, in, in ordinary terms, where's Sarah? This is what Troy does on Saturday morning at the Post that makes it so much fun. There's a group of people that show up for breakfast on occasion, and we just eat breakfast. But what really happens is Troy sort of throws out his father wings, and we all get to come up under there. Now, sometimes he missed his deodorant, and it stinks under there, right? <laughs> but we're there. So uh, maybe I've invited you. God calls himself the father of the fatherless. So whatever the relationship you had with your dad, that doesn't have to permanently define who you are because God himself ordained the days of your life and he gave you just the family that you had. And God promises to be the father of the fatherless. So like Dustin Liffin to Crawford Ritz or any of you that may have not had a great dad before, it's okay. God promises to be your dad. And, and your prayer was amazing, right? Because this place really is family. And, and you said it over and over. What we're doing when we're ordaining these men as elders is we're saying, these are going to be the dads for us. They're going to lead us. What does a dad do? Right? This passage says that in the days when they set up the tabernacle at Shiloh, the people brought their sacrifices, and what happened was the priests all put the sacrifices into a pot, and they boiled it. And what the priest was supposed to do, he had a three-pronged spear, and the priest was supposed to get the meal that came out of the pot. He took the little tong thing, and he stuck it in the pot, and whatever piece of meat he stuck, that's what he got to eat. But Eli's men were not good men. Hophni and Phinehas were bad priests. And so they began to say, no, 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 no. 
we're not going to trust the Lord and just take whatever meat comes out. We want to choose ourselves. So they met the people along the way and they said, hey, before the fats even burn, before the meat goes in the pot, you give us what we want. Right? So again, if you have your Bibles or if you go home today, you can read a little later in the chapter on Hophni and Phinehas. Because the Lord sends a prophet to speak to Eli in chapter 2 and verse 29. And he says to the father, Eli, of the sons Hophni and Phinehas, Why did you choose your sons over the sacrifice? Why didn't you stop them? Your sons were doing what was evil. And you didn't make them quit. Sometimes what a dad does is he teaches a kid how to trust the Lord. The experience of the priest living off of what they happened to get out of the pot was a practice of trusting the Lord and what the Lord was going to give them. And Hophni and Phinehas were evil men. And they desecrated the sacrifice. And instead of trucking the Lord, they took what they wanted. They were bad guys. But here's what's badder still. Capice, are you listening? Eli, the father, didn't stop them. Sometimes... A dad's got to lay down his life to prevent his child from doing that which is evil. Does that make sense? We brought the adopted girl in our house. Mary Lou decided she was going to fix her because Mary Lou's a phenomenal second grade teacher. You give her any child, she'll take that child, whip it into shape. It all works well unless that child's broken on the inside. Jennifer was really broken on the inside. She was broken long before she came to our house. So we had to negotiate this thing. Uh, Disciplining Jennifer didn't work like disciplining our other children. It was just a different sort of relationship. When she was in ninth grade, she fell deeply, madly in love with this boy who sold drugs. And we'd already kicked him out of our Christian school, and uh, his life was on a really significantly downward plane. But he's changed now. Right, he's changed now. So Jennifer wants deeply to love this boy forever because she's going to change him. So we get to have a talk. And she begins, as Jennifer would, to lobby for why she should get to love this boy forever. How he's changed. I stopped her. I said, Jen, um, you need to know a couple things. When that judge brought down the gavel and he made me your father, it meant uh, some things would happen and some things wouldn't happen. You're working really hard to make an argument that you should get to be with this boy that sells drugs. Whether or not he sells drugs now or not, I don't know. But what you're asking me is like asking, can I go play in the middle of 75? And it doesn't matter how well you ask me. Because I'm your father, no matter how you ask me, can I go play in the middle of I-75, I have to tell you no. So you can quit trying so hard to work to make your argument. The answer is going to be no. You cannot live in my house and be around that boy. You don't have to stay at my house. 
I can't make you stay at my house. I'll give you everything you have and everything you deserve so you can set up your own life somewhere else. But I'm your dad, and I'm telling you, you can't be in my house and be with that boy. She didn't really like that. So now I can't keep you from being with that boy. You can sneak out and be with that boy just like you can sneak out and play on I-75. But here's what's going to happen. If you play on I-75 long enough, you're going to get hit by a semi. When that judge brought down his gavel and said that I was your dad, what that means is right before that semi hits you, I'm going to lay myself out in front of that truck. And I'm going to hope that that guy swerves and he doesn't kill you. Because I'll die before I'll let you do what you're doing. Does that make sense to you? Jennifer never had a man commit to her that way. The Holy Spirit moved in her life and she told that little boy, I can't be with you. My dad won't let me. Right? If you're following, I'd like to say that what these dear men are doing, you know, I'm really only preaching this to Greg and Corey and Troy and Mike will get it later. The rest of you just happen to be here. Right? What they're doing when they assume the role of being elders for this little congregation is saying that there's going to be times in your life and in the life of this church when they're going to have to say to you, I can't let you do that. I can't keep you from doing it, but you need to know that if you do it, the last thing you're going to hear or see is me laying my life down so that you don't take the destruction that will come from that. That's part of what it means to be an elder. It's part of what it means to be a dad. Again, this sermon donated to you by Dustin Hayes. I'm going to save you some time. You don't have to go see that stupid movie. What's that movie? Great movie. Great movie, according to Dustin Hayes. What is it? The Quiet Place, right? So, you know, they live in this place where the apocalypse has happened, and if you make a sound, you get eaten by these aliens, right? I know I need to pay. I'm not going to that movie, and I got a movie pass. It's free for me. (laughs) (laughs) There's a toy airplane. You see this on the trailer. The airplane makes all kinds of noises. The dad takes it away from the kids because it makes noises, and if you make noises, the aliens will eat you. The sister thinks the airplane is pretty, and she gives it to her little brother. The little brother pushes the button, and the aliens eat him. The sister lives her whole life thinking that the dad hates her because it was her fault that her little brother got eaten. Somebody says to the dad, you, do you love her? Oh, yeah, I love her. Do you tell her? You ought to tell her. She thinks you hate her because she got her little brother killed. So then the girl is playing, right? Am I right? Am I close? Come on, help me. The girl's trapped where? Oh, I'm sorry. I missed that significant part. The girl's in a truck. Whatever. Right? The girl makes a noise. And she's going to be eaten. And so the dad drops an axe to distract the alien. 
The alien turns away from the girl, but he's not coming after the dad yet. The dad signs to her, I love you. I've always loved you. And then he screams. He screams so the alien will give up on the little girl and come and eat him. Right? That's what it means to be a ruling elder. All right, where are you, Mike? We got another passage. What's our next story? Who's our next reader, Mark? Ah, Sarah. Thank you. So uh, one of the things that dad does is he teaches you to trust the Lord. And he's willing even to stop you in the things that you want. So let's jump to another dad story. Okay. Uh, from 1 Kings 12, 1 through 16. Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel had gone there to make him king. When Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, heard this, he was still in Egypt, where he had fled from King Solomon. He returned to Egypt, from Egypt. So they sent for Jeroboam, and when he went, the whole assembly of Israel went, went to Rehoboam and said to him, Your father has put a heavy yoke on us, and now lighten the harsh labor and the heavy yoke he put on us, and we will serve you. Rehoboam answered, Go away for three days and come back to me. So the people went away. Then King Rehoboam consulted the elders who had served his father Solomon during his lifetime. How would you advise me to answer these people, he asked. They replied, If today you will be a servant to these people and serve them and give them a favorable answer, they will always be your servants. But Rehoboam rejected the advice the elders gave him and consulted the young men who had grown up with him and were serving him. He asked them, What is your advice? How should we answer these people who say to me, Lighten the yoke of your, fa- your father has put on us? The young men who had grown up with him replied, These people have said to you, Your father put a heavy yoke on us. Make our yoke lighter. Now tell them, My little finger is thicker than my father's waist. My father laid on you a heavy yoke, and I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips, and I will scourge you with scorpions. Three days later, Jeroboam and all the others returned to Rehoboam, and the king said to them, Come back to me in three days. The king answered the people harshly, rejecting the advice he had given them by the elders. He followed the advice of the young men and said, My father made your yoke heavy, and I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips, and I will scourge you with scorpions. So the king did not listen to the people, for this turn of events was from the Lord, to fulfill the word of the Lord had spoken to Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, through Ahijah, the Shilonite. And when all Israel saw the king refuse to listen to them, they answered the king, What share do we have in David? What part in the son of Jesse? To, to your tents, Israel, look after your own house, David. So the Israelites went home. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So all Israel went to their own tents. Again, it's a long passage and it's hard to understand. Solomon was the king and he died. He had an older son, Rehoboam. Rehoboam should have been the king after Solomon. Solomon had another son, Jeroboam. There was a time when Solomon and Jeroboam came in conflict and Jeroboam escaped and ran down to Egypt and he stayed there. But when Solomon died, the people called Jeroboam back and they said, hey, uh, your brother Rehoboam might be our king. You might want to come check this out. And so they come to Rehoboam and they say to him, Rehoboam, uh, your father's taxes were heavy. How are you going to tax us? And Rehoboam goes and seeks counsel. Now what I want you to hear is that 
The second thing that a father does really well is he encourages his children to pursue wisdom. He encourages his children to pursue wisdom. And that wisdom doesn't always look like what it should look like. Wisdom doesn't always look like profit or gain or prosperity. A good father helps his children understand that wisdom doesn't always look like personal gain. A good father, what Solomon should have been, should have prepared Rehoboam for this kind of decision and Rehoboam would have understood that he could make a choice against his own personal prosperity and been incredibly blessed. A good father helps his children understand that choosing wisdom sometimes looks really, really stupid. And a good father makes that okay. Let me say that again. Maybe you didn't hear it. A good father helps his children understand that choosing wisdom is the highest value that the scripture gives us. And choosing that wisdom sometimes means choosing against prosperity, against my own personal benefit. Jesus does this all the time. Why do you worry about what you eat or drink or what you should wear? Your heavenly father knows you have these things, need of these things. If he clothes the lilies of the field like that, won't he also take care of you? A good father trains his children not to worry about their own stuff, but to follow the Lord. Rehoboam is the king after Solomon. When the people come and say, what are your taxes going to be like? He goes to his father's people, the elders. What does elder mean? What is an elder? Old. He's old. Rehoboam goes to the old man, you know, the crippled up guys who needs them for anything. They got Velcro shoes on. They use bright guard, old spice. Oh my gosh. No one listens to them. Rehoboam goes to those guys and says, what should we do? And those guys say to him, son, if you'll just lay off a little bit. Solomon taxed the brains out of his people. He had horses and concubines and houses. If you'll give your people just a little bit of rest, it's going to cost you profit. But the people will love you. Dude, what do the hipsters say? Rehoboam goes to the hipsters. The hipsters say, man, if your father's pinky was his taxes, yours are going to be your thigh. Right? We're going to tax the brains out of you people. And so all Israel goes to his own tent. You understand what that means? God promised that he would meet them in Jerusalem. He said, you build a house for me and I will be there. You turn your face to my house and you plead with me and I will be there. You understand? For profit, the people said, let's ditch Jerusalem. Let's build our own temple. So we just went to Israel. We just went to the place where the three sources of the springs feed what becomes the Jordan River. And right there, you go down this little road, doesn't really look like much. You come around the corner and the guide said, this is where they set up the temple at Dan. This is where all Israel said, all Israel to his own tent. This is where the people of Israel gave up on Jerusalem and they built their own altar. You see that cow and that rock over there? That's because the people decided it was the calves that had led them instead of Yahweh. 
good father teaches his children to follow wisdom. And sometimes wisdom runs counter to personal prosperity. Sometimes following Jesus doesn't make sense. And a good father makes it okay for his kids to do that. How was your dad? Did he prepare you to give away your stuff? Did he train you in being free to let go of what you had for the sake of other people? I listened to the vice president of all Chick-fil-A this week. And he told that story that dads tell. It makes me want to punch him. I'm not a nice guy, right? You know when dads sit around and talk, yeah, when those guys come to beat my daughter, I won't meet them at the door with a shotgun. Like, oh, you idiot. (laughs) And he has this whole speech that he wants to make with these boys where he sits down with them. They're scared to death. He's the dad. They're the child. And he says, you know about the three kind of boys, right? Kid says, no, sir. (laughs) And he says, well, there's the good boys. You probably have some good boys at your school. Oh, yeah. They're, They're the studs. And then you have some bad boys. Oh, yes, sir. Everybody knows the bad boys. Then you have the posers. You know, every parent can smell a poser, son. (laughs) And then he actually says, I watch him, and if his eyes drop to my nose, I'm okay. But if his eyes drop to my chin, eh, his eyes drop down to my waist, he ain't going out with my daughter. He's a poser. Now, see, what I want to do is I want to be the lawyer for the kid. I want to prepare the kid, and I want to say to him, listen, this is the speech he's going to give you. And you just get through the speech. And then when he gets done, tell him how much you appreciate that speech. And then you can ask him this. Sir, you know there are three kinds of fathers? (laughs) There's the good fathers. And there's the bad fathers. And then there's the poser fathers. My dad raised me, to be honest... And I'm hoping that your daughter has been trained with integrity and righteousness. Would you mind if I ask you a few questions about your posing? What percentage of your income did you give to the poor last year? How much time does your family spend feeding the hungry? Because I'm interested in the kind of girl that's been raised up in a home that's not a poser. Actually cares for the poor. See, I think I could gut these dads. Because the truth is, when my daughter's boyfriend had messed up, he didn't need me to be an arrogant behind. He needed me to put my arm around him and tell him, son, you've not begun to do what I've done. And I know you feel like whale crap, and it's okay. Because I'm my daughter's dad. And I'm going to take care of her. But I'll take care of you too. My daughter was the kind of girl who could say to her boyfriend, you messed up and this isn't going to happen again unless you meet with my father. 
And that poor little boy had to come to me, a pastor, and say, Sir, I messed up. And I cheated against your daughter. And I had that little boy's life in my hands. You know what I needed to be for him? A dad. I needed to say to him, Son, Jesus loves you. And we're going to be okay. Jennifer had brokennesses in her life that it didn't take a rocket scientist to get. So we started when she was young practicing. Jennifer, when you find out you're pregnant, what's your first thought going to be? Dad, I'm not going to get pregnant. Jennifer, I know you're not going to get pregnant, but let's just pretend hypothetically that you wake up and miraculously somehow you're pregnant. What's your Dad, I am not going to get pregnant. Jennifer, here's the problem. I'm driving this car, and I'll just keep driving, and you won't be able to get out of this car. I won't slow down for you enough. You'll be late for school. I'll drive till tomorrow until you say it. Fine, Dad. When I wake up and I find out I'm pregnant, my first thought's going to be, if I can get to my dad, he'll take care of me. See, we practiced because I needed her to know that being her father, it was my job to teach her wisdom. And when she messed up, it was my job to step in and take the consequences that were to fall to her. Third guy, who's our last? Who's wrapping this thing up? Go ahead. Now that you came into the district yeah. of Cesarea. Yeah. Yeah, good, good work. Did I say Pretty right? close, yeah. Caesarea Philippi. Caesarea? He asked his disciple, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one he was the Christ. Thank you. So we're almost done, right? Um, good fathers teach their children to trust the Lord. They stop them when their children are misbehaving. Good fathers teach their children to embrace wisdom, and they give their children a sense of freedom that sometimes wisdom goes against personal prosperity. We were in Israel, one of the most amazing things that was different for us. You know, you go to some places and it's a little cheesy. It's like a Jesus rabbit's foot. You know, it's people doing stuff that's just dumb, right? Like women crying over this slab, this marble slab, and rubbing oil on it and praising it because they think it's where Jesus might have been uh, embalmed or whatever after he was dead, except the stone's only 200 years old. It's like, oh my gosh, that's so stupid. Someone stop these people. But there are other places that just blow you away. 
And one of them is Caesarea Philippi. It's about a six-day walk from the Sea of Galilee. If we had time, I could back up and show you that this, in this passage, they're at the Sea of Galilee, and then Jesus says to the disciples, come on, boys, let's go. And they start walking, and they walk for six days until they come to another one of those places where the spring comes out of the mountain that feeds the Jordan River. Now, it used to be a cave that was almost as big as this room, and the cave went way back into the mountain where the spring came from, and the people called it the gates of hell. And in that place, it was where they worshipped Pan. Pan was a god that they made up that had like a goat's body and a man's top. Again, I want to be careful because there are children here. Um, But they practice the worship of the fertility god by fertilizing. They had giant orgies as a celebration of worshiping the Pan God. And if that wasn't bad enough, since Pan went all the way into the gates of hell, they actually did children's sacrifices there. They took babies deep into the cave and bashed them against the rock until the river ran blood red. And then all the people worshiped Pan and all the other gods, because Pan was kind of the gods of all gods. So Jesus comes to this place that is a giant rock and this cave that they called the gates of hell. Because it was so vulgar, so wild, such a massive orgy with all of these children being slaughtered that everybody understood if there was a place in the world that was the gates of hell, it's this place where we rape people and we kill babies as a part of our sacrifice. And this giant mountain they called the rock. You see, and Jesus says to his disciples, come on, boys, we're going to walk for six days until we get to this place. And then he puts his back to the gates of hell where babies are being slaughtered. And he says to the disciples, so who do you say that I am? In the place where everybody in that day worshiped all the gods that there were and even sacrificed babies to them. And Peter says, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, Peter, you didn't come up with this on your own. The Holy Spirit gave this to you. And then he turns and he points to the gates of hell and to the rock where the most vile, evil brokennesses of the world are being practiced. And he says, the gates of hell won't stop my church. And right here on this rock, I'm going to build it. The most important thing that a Christian father does is live in front of his children the understanding that there's no brokenness so deep, no hurt so wrong, no evil that you can do that God won't come and get you there. A good dad says to his children, no matter how broken you ever get, I'll be there. Jesus is living out great fatherhood for us when he says right there at the most broken place in the entire known world, that's where I start my church. Uh, If your dad wasn't that for you, I'm so sorry. The truth is none of us do it perfectly, right? My dad was hilarious. I'd hurt my knee. I couldn't play football anymore, which was clearly the end of the world because I'm an NFL athlete just waiting to happen. (laughs) But now all I have is wrestling. So I'm out there on the wrestling team as a senior in high school. All the other kids are laughing about their nerdy fathers. 
You know what my dad would do? He'd come by after work. He's about like Wade size. He'd come by at work in front of all my friends at wrestling practice. He'd walk out on the mat and he'd go, hey, Teddy, me and you right here. Yeah, like my dad's going to whip my tail right in front of all my friends. I have to say, no, father, I'm not coming out on the mat with you. (laughs) But isn't that cool? You see, all my life, I knew it didn't ever matter what I did. My dad would get me. My dad would take care of me. You know, Drano Bomb, take glass and water and crystals. You make this Drano Bomb. It's really cool in college. My nephew did it all the time. He's about 21. They made a couple of Drano Bombs at home in Lakeland for this high school party. It was great. They ran. They set them all off. Boom! Did you hear all of them go off? I heard all of them go off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They run away. One of them didn't go off. The next morning, a 12-year-old girl picks it up. When she picks it up, it explodes in her face. Now, fortunately, it combusts so much that they're only little flecks. We didn't know that at the time. This is your people. This is Anthony Tucker's people. That's right. That's our whole row right there. When my nephew finds out, he and his dad go to the sheriff's department. And they say, I understand the bomb hurt a little girl, and I did that. My My nephew writes this whole story about them telling him this is a felony, minimum of 10 years. You're older than 18. You're an adult. You're going to be charged. You're 21. A felony has a minimum sentence of 10 years. Son, you'll be 31 when you get out of prison. Don't take a shower. Don't bend over. He was so scared. The highlight of the poem is him sitting in jail, hearing someone whistling, and knowing that my dad was there. Even facing a 10-year sentence, he said, I knew Grandpa would help. That's what these guys are for us. That's what Corey is for us. It's what Troy is for us. It's what Greg is for us. It's what Mike is for us. They're going to be our elders. When we particularize, we'll be saying, that guy's like a dad for us. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for these wonderful folks who've listened so kindly. Some of them, perhaps, in the midst of pain for what didn't happen in their childhood, Some of them we haven't yet begun to uh, touch the glories of all that their fathers were. Lord, I don't know if I've done anything this morning. My only hope would be to ignite a conversation that they would see and taste and believe that their heavenly father has loved them so deeply that he would even give his own son rescue us I thank you for the honesty in this room for Mike being able to say hey I don't feel it and for a prayer to be about how this place is a place where brothers and sisters get to come and it feels like family to us so Lord whatever happens on that big day of our particularation and whatever happens when we go through the motions of doing all the proper actions and making the vows and promises. What we really want is to know that you've been a father to us and you've given us these little dads to watch over us. These little dads will teach us to trust you and not to take care of ourselves, to really pursue wisdom and to understand that sometimes that goes against the grain of prosperity and self-protection. 
more than anything else, O Lord, what Jennifer and I need to hear is that we can't escape your love for us. There's no place in this world that is so broken that you won't come and get us. So, Lord, even as we stand and sing together, won't you bind our hearts by the power of your Holy Spirit and remind us that you are the Heavenly Father from whom all fatherhood gets its name. That you introduce yourself as God, the Father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You are our Father. And Christ, when he teaches us to pray, invites us to call you Abba, Daddy. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. O Lord, we pray these things for your glory in Christ's name. Amen. Won't you stand and join us as we sing together?